You are listening to Any Given Sunday, a part of the Dead End Podcast Network. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all other podcasting services. Please make sure you check out Dead End Hip Hop, Dead End Sports, Dead End Gaming, Is the Mic Still On, Chris Platt's Strictly Hip Hop and Hoops Talk, and a host of other shows on our podcast network. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Yo, what up? Welcome to Any Given Sunday for Sunday, May 26, 2019. I am your host, Manny Brown. What's up, everybody? Hopefully you guys are enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's been a little, weather's been a little iffy this weekend for us here in the Northwest. So uh, it doesn't feel like your normal Memorial Day weekend when we've just been out trying to enjoy the weather and do things. It's a little nicer today, so probably get a chance to uh, hang out, do some things out in, out in the sun. And tomorrow's supposed to be great, of course. So hopefully you guys are enjoying yourselves, barbecuing, eating good food, spending time with good people. Um, my guest this week is a uh, guy that I've had on the show previously under the uh, old show, uh, Dan Labriola. He is the host of the Duke Nation podcast, uh, which is available Anywhere where you can find podcasts, uh, you know, SoundCloud, iTunes, everywhere, everywhere. Uh, great guy. Love having him on. Uh, second time on the show. Dan, welcome back to the show. This is Any Given Sunday. What's up, man? Manny, how you doing, man? Good. Uh, thanks for having me on. And I appreciate the shout out for all the uh, for the podcast and for the website. No doubt. No doubt, man. Uh, definitely a fun time. Last time I had you on, uh, it was over a year ago. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it was, I, I believe it was like last April. It's crazy how time flies, but yeah, last April yeah. We, we talked about a, uh, a, a terrible Duke loss to Kansas. So, uh, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> good to have you on the show, man. I, I really appreciate you having you on. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Let's, let's get to it. Uh, how's everything going, man? How's the podcast? Tell everybody how the podcast is going and, uh, uh you know, how's, how's business? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast, uh, it's been on hold for a little bit, just, you know, the regular, uh, you know, everything going on with life, you know, uh, college work, homework, studying, all that kind of stuff has kind of put a little bit of a damper on things just in that case. But, uh, summer's, right here right around the corner and uh hoping to get some more guests on hoping to have people on and uh one thing that uh we're going to be doing is looking at each player for the recruiting class that they have coming in um what i like to do is i watch a couple of uh each player's high school game uh Uh, there it's there's a nfhs i was just doing this last night uh nfhs network uh they have a bunch of uh a bunch of their games and take notes on each player and then try to come up with an article for that and then discuss it in a little bit more depth on the podcast. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. And we're hoping to get as many former Duke players or maybe hopefully maybe even current Duke players on as possible. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, keep, definitely keep us posted on that, man. Cause uh, you know, Absolutely. of course I'm a fan of the show and a lot of people that listen to our, to my show are Duke fans as well. So, uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that, man. It uh, yes, should be, sir. should be fun and exciting. Um, Absolutely. so well, since we're on the topic of Duke, I guess we could start there, um, and, and say sure. that a little later, but you know, um, Obviously, our Blue Devils uh, did not win a national championship this year, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> losing in the Elite Eight, a, a tough loss to Michigan State. Um, it kind of break down the season as a whole. Did the season kind of live up to your expectations? Uh, would you call this season a disappointment with all the expectations that, you know, I think everybody had for this team and the recruiting class? And um, just kind of just give me a brief uh, recap of the season in your opinion and, and what went wrong, what went right, you know, and, and did it kind of live up to your expectations? 
Sure. Um, well, coming into the season, I really wasn't, it, it's, it sounds dumb to say now, but really right. had no idea what, what Zion Williamson would be simply because, you know, you watched, uh, his high school games, his high school highlights. And, you know, the guys he was going up against, it looked like he was posting up, you know, six foot guys and people. And you, and it was really impressive, obviously. And you can see what kind of an athlete he was, but you weren't sure, or at least I wasn't sure how it would translate to the college game simply because you knew that guys are going to be bigger. You knew guys are going to be stronger and you wondered how, you know, will he adjust to that? And, you know, it just makes, it made you look, it made me look unbelievably stupid to say that because he just took college basketball by storm. Um, RJ Barrett, I think, uh, kind of when I was watching his games, uh, you knew he was going to be, you knew he was going to be a shooter. You knew he was going to take his shots and, um, and boy, boy, did he, he did. But, <laughs> um, and, and look, I mean, he was, an, he was still an unbelievable player. He was great. Um, Cam Reddish. Uh, I mean, it got, it, of course it was frustrating to watch it because you knew the talent he had and you see all the videos coming out now, of, you know, all the stuff that he's doing in his workouts and how great he looks. And you wonder where that was at Duke. And uh, I pulled together, I just, you know, after their Michigan state loss was kind of looking at the statistics and he was, um, I think the worst high volume three point shooter in a single season in Duke history. And you look at the guys who, were on that list. And by that, I meant I looked up who took seven or more threes uh, per game and then looked at their shooting and then looked at their three point percentage. And the guys that's on that, that are on that list, obviously, you know, JJ Redick, uh, Jeff Capel, uh, John Shire guys who shot a lot of threes. And, and the reason they shot a lot of threes is because they made them. And right. Cam obviously, you know, had the reputation of being a three point shooter and um, they were, and that was his, that was his game. Those were his shots and he just didn't knock them down. But uh, sort to get to your question, I think, you know, the season as a whole was really, um, it was obviously fun because anytime you can have Zion Williamson out there and, and just watching him play day in and day out was absolutely unbelievable because he just, it, it was something that he had the ball and you almost knew something good was going to happen. And he would just, his post moves, everything, everything he did was so smooth and electric at the same time. It was unbelievable. And of course it got frustrating uh, throughout the season because uh, something I talked about in the beginning of the season, he didn't know where the shooting was going to come from. And I think that really reared its head and, um, and it hurt them. It hurt them because, you know, it, it's tough when uh, you're one, the one guy who can shoot doesn't shoot well. And then um, I think RJ Barrett actually shot uh, worse from three than uh than both of then uh no not worse than cam he shot worse than uh zion zion i think shot around 34 or 33 percent which for him wasn't bad but that was discouraging and um i think i, I mean anytime uh when you're a fan of a, of a team like duke it's really tough to say whether or not a season was successful because you're based on winning championships getting the final fours and uh once again they came one one shot really one shot, two shots away from going back to the final four, just as, you know, we talked about last year with, uh, with Grayson Allen's shot against Kansas mm -hmm. that, that just couldn't fall. Um, I, I mean, obviously when, when your season ends with a loss as you know, it, it does more times than not. Uh, it, it sucks. It really, it's tough, but, um, I definitely interested in seeing how this team will be this year. And I think, um, they let they kind of let this one get away by having RJ take the last shots in in a good few games, and that's nothing against RJ. He's he's a tremendous player. He's someone that 
if Zion weren't on the team, that's who you'd want having the ball. Right. Uh, in the last, you know, minute, two minutes of the game. Um, I think it's one thing, it's something that they actually didn't do enough is that when their offense stalled and they needed buckets, they, they just didn't, they, the easiest thing would be to just dump it to Zion. And they didn't really, they didn't really do that, which, which got frustrating. And obviously they didn't do that at, um, at the end of the game against Michigan state and, uh, you know, RJ, RJ missed the free throw. It happens, but, uh, you know, you kind of, you, you just kind of have to move on from that and look at this new team and see what they have, what's in store for them. Yeah, I agree with most of all, everything that you said. Um, it, it's crazy because I, I was, and I, and, and I know you said you sound bad saying that now, but I think I think most people were with you, man. I think that you know I watched a lot of Zion. Well, I can't say that I watched a lot of his highlights, and I think I watched one of his high school games that happened to air on ESPN. I think, um, and, and watching is a strong. I mean, I, I paid attention to it. I wouldn't say I watched the the entire game in its totality, right. but um, yeah. But I mean, I you know, obviously you watch the kid and he's impressive and you see all the highlight dunks and everything. But I was with you. I, I didn't know how um, that talent was going to resonate in the college level. Like I knew he'd be good. I knew he'd be impressive, but I didn't know he would be that good. And and, and I think yeah. the thing that would worry me is how all the guys would mesh, um, especially R.J. Barrett, who you know I think a lot of people forget now. But R.J. was seen as the can't miss Uber prospect coming into Duke. I mean, he was the five star. He was the number one recruit in the nation. I think people forget that now because of Zion and everything that that Zion became and brought with him. But, you know, RJ was the guy. And, you know, I was worried that, you know, how was RJ going to fit in with, with Cam Reddish and or how was Zion going to fit in with Cam Reddish and, and RJ and and Trey and, and the guys that we already had on the team. But I think the thing that was most impressive about Zion is how much he got better as the season went along. Like, oh. you know, he just it, it just was scary how just he just was so much better than the hype. And then he continued mm. to get better. Like it, it wasn't like he yeah. was better. Like like he was already better than than as advertised. And then he continually got better. Like he shot the ball better as the season went along. Uh, and his passing—that's the thing to me that, that mm. really kind of impressed me. His defensive instincts, his passing. I mean, I, I, he's just a tremendous player. And 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 I'm with you. This season was very fun. I kind of look at this season as, as kind of two uh, a tale of two tapes. Everything that happened before Zion got hurt, and then everything that happened mm. after Zion got hurt. Um, yeah. And I really kind of feel that that you know the infamous shoe breaking in, in the North Carolina <laughs> game that that was that kind of derailed us in a lot of ways because I, you know I really thought we were just we were playing our best basketball going into that North Carolina game and the team was just firing on all cylinders you know I, you know we had I believe we had one loss going into that game and that was the game that uh, you know Trey Jones got hurt and and Zion was in foul trouble I believe that was that Syracuse game if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but you know, other than that game, um, we just were just firing on all cylinders, and then just obviously the North Carolina game happened, and and then they, you know we lost a bunch of games right after you know just trying to adjust without Zion. So and then of course yeah, you know he comes back in the tournament, everything looks good. Um, the only thing I would disagree with you in in this sense is that I do think this season was a disappointment because I think. You know, obviously, we talked about it last year with with that class with Marvin Bagley and Gary Trent and and, and those boys. But I, I think that when you when you look at this season and you look at um, that recruiting class, I mean, this is a once in a lifetime recruiting class. I mean, this is I mean, coaches would 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 sew their right arm to to 
to get a recruiting class of this level and and you got to win and especially in this era where you're not keeping these guys for two three four years i mean this is a one-year deal i mean and you have to get it done and i know it's a lot of pressure especially in the college game and tournament the 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 wild card aspect of the tournament you know that you know it's hard to just you know base your season on just championships but i think if you're a duke team that you know relies on these big time classes coming in yeah i think you got to get the job done and i said the same thing last year and i think this is a disappointment and i think this year it's it's tricky do you think that this loss this year was more disappointing than the loss last year because it's crazy because you know obviously with all the expectations that both teams had i think this team had even more expectations obviously but i i i still feel like last year's loss was worse just because uh, of the of the of the of the of the charge call of of, of everything that went into that game, um, yeah. you know, and, and and I thought that we just we played a better we played a great game and just lost and got it got the benefit of a bad whistle. I think this year we mm. just didn't play well in the tournament. I mean, we just didn't play well, yeah. and honestly, we were lucky to be where we were. So I think that that's what makes last year's loss a little worse for me from an emotional standpoint. Um, what about you? What do you think? Uh, I definitely, I have to agree just because, you know, uh, I say that, but then I start thinking about, you know, if um, that Villanova team uh, that won the national championship last year, yeah, they, right. they were, they were unreal. I mean, that Michigan team was very good and it, it almost didn't even matter, which kind of just, uh, and again, this is just using hindsight, which uh, again, is 2020. Uh, I do think though, that if Duke were to advance this year after, uh, you know, be, if they had beaten Michigan state, I thought that they were going to win it all because on the other side of the bracket, on the other yeah. side, on the other side of the bracket was UVA and, uh, nothing against UVA at all. They're, they're the national champions and it sucks being in living in Virginia currently with, uh, seeing <laughs> all the uh, national championship stuff, but, uh, Duke had their number. And Duke just outplayed them the two times that they played against each other in the regular season. It was, I mean, uh, they just outplayed them. They were so good. And that game against at UVA was the best game outside of the first game against Kentucky that this team played together the entire season. Cam Reddish didn't have the most points, but it was the best he played defensively. And he knocked down his open threes. Trey was hitting shots. Everything just was clicking. And that's what kind of makes me think that this one should be more disappointing than the previous year. But my gut still says, you know, watching that ball hang on the rim for Grayson and then seeing the charge call on, uh, yeah. or not the, the, uh, the block on, uh, Wendell, uh, that obviously sucks. I mean, I don't know if it would, it would have led to a national championship that year. I do think it would have this year, but, uh, I, I think I kind of, I think I do have to agree just because, um, but again, it's, it's actually the same thing that, you know, coach, uh, coach K called the play for Grayson when, I mean, boy, no one could stop Marvin Bagley and he didn't yeah. play for, and he didn't call play for Bagley. He didn't call play for Zion. It's uh, again, you, you know, for a lot of people, it's a, uh, it's a sin to talk against coach K like this, but it's just, you know, it's spitballing. It's, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, thinking about what would have happened, which obviously is easy in hindsight. But uh, it's not necessarily talking uh, talking against Coach K, more just, you know, things that n- maybe could have been done differently, maybe things that should have been done differently. You know, he's the greatest coach of all time. And obviously I'm, I'm someone just, you know, sitting on, sitting on my couch right now. But 
Uh, it's it's just the little things that you pick up on that you know you may have differences in opinion. No, absolutely. I mean, look, we all. I mean, if you're a Duke fan, I mean, you love Coach K. Nobody here is, oh, is is advocating for Coach K to lose his job or anything crazy. <laughs> Obviously, right? No. But no, of course, we know the greatness of Coach K. But I mean, yeah, it's it's two years in a row, uh, disappointing losses. I, I I'm with you. I, I you did bring up that Villanova team last year. I mean, they were incredible. Mm. Clearly, the best team. I, I do feel. I, I would have. I do feel interested in seeing what could have happened had we matched up against them. I I do think it would. Yeah been a close game um and not just being biased but I, I i think we would have matched up a little bit better than say a michigan um against that team but who knows i mean obviously yeah. this is this is you know a moot point at this point but yeah yeah it's weird because i you know i talked to a couple buddy of mine a couple buddies of mine that, that are duke fans and, and i and i kind of raised the question what was more disappointing because i kind of felt like within the duke nation this loss this year didn't feel as as devastating as as last year's loss, which is crazy to me, you know, because you would think yeah. Zion and all the hype. It just didn't feel like that was there was that devastation. Even for me, it just didn't, you know, just and I think a lot of that was that I think I think a lot of people felt like we were on borrowed time. Like I think just think it we didn't feel like we deserved to be in the Elite Eight. It just we didn't play well yeah. the entire tournament. I mean, even the first game against uh I forget who it was. It was either North Dakota State or was it was it South yeah. Dakota or North Dakota State? It was North Dakota. I, I, I've, I've no yeah, I've, I've lost track. <laughs> one, of the, one of the Dakota States, right? Um, yeah, Dakota even in that, yeah, even in that game, you know, like the first half, we it was just kind of a meh first half. Um, and then, of course, we you know we turned it up in the second half, and then of course the infamous UCF game, and you know where yep. we should have lost, and then yeah. you know even the even the Vatech game was 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 not great. Um, yeah, no, so I think that I, I think that a lot of people kind of felt like, man, this team just really did not play well in the tournament, and that was the surprising thing, especially coming from the ACC tournament, that we just didn't play well at all in the tournament. Yeah, I think it did. Also, it, it also comes back to teams, you know. They had a full season, the game plan, and or not a full season, but you know, they've seen they have a full season's worth of numbers and statistics and uh highlights and uh film to watch. So, I mean, also, you know, UCF that was probably the worst matchup that you yeah, had agree. the entire, entire time yeah. because you have a team that is predicated around getting to the basket and you have <laughs> seven foot six. Yeah, Taco. Behemoth, behemoth of a human being <laughs> in Taco Fall just standing right there. And um, one thing that, you know, just just to, you know, pick, uh, you know, pick at was um, uh, Taco got a lot of um, – he got away with a lot just because um, – He did. Just, just because, I mean, with his sheer height, I mean, he's not jumping. And, uh, he brought his arms down a lot. But, look, in the end of the, at the end of the day, Duke was fortunate to win. Uh, Aubrey Dawkins was – unreal that he boy yeah wow yeah he wow. opened some eyes i was like man oh, yeah. where where oh, yeah. where has this kid been and why wasn't he at uh yeah. cameron and <laughs> yeah he, I mean, he, was, he was at michigan and uh yeah. for whatever reason it didn't work out for him there and transferred to play under his dad and boy did <laughs> on the biggest stage on the biggest stage he he balled out and that's just i mean it's the nature of the tournament and you know, Duke got a fortunate, a couple fortunate bounces, and then the next game got a fortunate bounce against, a bounce against Virginia Tech, and um, you yeah. know, then you know you miss a free throw, like I said, against um, uh, against Michigan State, and uh, you, you kind of have to just brush it off and say, you know, it's the nature of the tournament. It sucks for a while. You don't feel good waking up the next day, but 
you know, it, it, it's, you, you know, that it, the, the part that hurts the most is that I don't think I've, I've loved the player. Like I love Zion uh, probably since, since JJ Redick was at Duke. And I mean, I was, I was little, I was little when JJ was there, but uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. It's funny. Cause I don't really remember watching him play because he was there from like, I think Oh three to Oh six. And I was, Oh God. Oh three. I was like seven. So like seven oh to God. 10 years old around there. I know I'm like, Crazy. You're, you're making me feel young. old right now, man. Thank you. Yeah. And so I don't, yeah, oh man, I'm not trying to do that. Just trying to say <laughs> that I don't, I, I don't remember watching him. I remember how much I loved him and I still to this day. And, uh, it's the reason I follow, I follow the Sixers this year, but, uh, boy, Zion just played hard a hundred times out of a hundred. He put his body on the line. He did everything he could to, for this team to win. And, um, you know, they, they came up short. They, they came up short and it, and it really sucks to hear. It sucks to, uh, sucks to see. Really. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. No. And I'm with you on, on Zion. Just, it, it, and that's the, and that's the nature of this one and done aspect of the game now too, is that it's hard to kind of get attached to players because I mean, they're just, you're essentially rooting for them for five to six months essentially. And, and then they're gone. Yeah. So there's no, that yeah. there's not a, that attachment. You know, I remember, you know, not to show my age a little bit, but I was in high school with JJ was playing for Duke and, and my favorite oh. player. And then just, it was just phenomenal watching him play for four years and the excitement, the level of, of, of energy that he brought every single night playing. And, and, and so, I, you know, you're right. I hadn't felt that same energy a little bit with the 2015 team because, um, obviously the national championship and, and the great caliber of players we had there. Um, but this is the most fun season I've had as a Duke fan really since that yeah. 2010 team, that 2010 team is still one of my favorite Ooh. because of, you know, that wasn't the greatest as far as talent, but I just loved every no. single player on that team. Um, John Shire, Nolan Smith, you know, Kyle Singer, watching those kids come in as freshmen develop, um, and turn into a national champion. It, it was one. Of, so this was really one of the most fun seasons I've had as a Duke fan. I'm with you. And then watching Zion play and develop and be everything that he was advertised to be and more. Um, oh, was fun. Was fun. It was absolutely fun. And, and and I think that's the real disappointment of it is just how much more fun could it have been had they won a national championship? You know, had they finished the job off? Yeah. But you know, we'll probably never know. So, oh, and well, not probably. We won't know. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's definitely disappointing. So let's talk about let's talk about this incoming recruiting class. Obviously, the nature of sure. you know one season ends and another season begins, or and the transition into the next season begins. Um, talk about this recruiting class. Um, obviously, it's not as highly touted i would say as as the classes that they've previously had i mean they're still the number two recruiting class i believe they're still the number yeah. two recruiting class in the nation memphis overtook us here late um with that class yeah. yeah um but you know talk about this recruiting class obviously the the, the standouts are vernon vernon carey jr and uh matthew hurt um, talk about those guys. Talk about the other guys that they've signed on this class. You know, I know you've done a lot sure. of work on on following those guys. You just kind of talk about what you see in those guys and how this class fits with this team, with this year's team. Absolutely. Um, I do have to say, boy, I, I know they that Memphis caught a lot of flack for uh, who they fired, Tubby Smith, or mm-hmm. I, I think, and then they brought in Penny Hardaway, and man, did, did that pay off for them? Kudos to kudos to Penny. Kudos to Memphis. That's that's absolutely unbelievable. They took one of the guys that I was I was actually pretty excited about in Boogie Ellis. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, no, I, yeah. Don't, I don't blame I don't blame Boogie Ellis at all. Simply because you know 
Duke recruited really late. They recruited Cassius Stanley and, um, you know, they were going to play the same position. He, he saw the writing on the wall that, uh, Stanley's a higher rated recruit. He's a better athlete. Uh, so he knew he was going to struggle for playing time and rather than waste his time. And, you know, even if it were like, um, ah, man, uh, Jordan Tucker, where he yeah. came for like, where he came for like a semester and then left, he figured, you know, there's no reason to do that. Just reopen my recruitment now. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll start with Cassius Stanley. He's another one of those combo guards for Duke that, uh, that struggles shooting. He's an unbelievable athlete. Uh, you can look at any of his highlights. You see him between the legs, dunks, every, all that, uh, great driver to the basket. But again, it's the, it's the same issue that, um, you know, Duke had this year with some of their guards and that, you know, he, he can't really shoot a high clip from three, the three point line. Um, his game is predicated more on getting to the basket, finishing around there. Because like I said, he's an unbelievable athlete and unbelievable foot speed. It, it's tremendous. Uh, uh, watching uh, Vernon Carey now, uh, very athletic. It, it's, it almost sucks uh, that he's coming in after Zion because they're not similar at all. He's, he's, right. obviously a, more tradi- he's a more traditional big, but you watch how, how athletic he is for a guy that's 6'11". And of course, you know, you're thinking about Zion and, you know, Zion's once in a lifetime talent and you're watching Vernon Carey and he just, the moves that he has are great. He has such quick feet. He stays, you know, if he gets switched onto, onto guards, he can slide his feet well enough to stay with guards. He does take some plays off. Uh, you can see that there are questions about his motor. Um, and that's, uh, that's, you know, not, not something you want to hear, but, you know, Duke had, you know, coming in last year, there were questions about Cam Radish's motor and there hadn't really, didn't really look like there was a problem there with his motor. He played some unbelievable defense this year. So right, right. You, you, you hope that coming into college, things will change there, but. Uh, and it's hard to judge also, sometimes too, because they're high school kids, you know, they're, they're winning every game by like 45 points. So, you know, it, it's, it's easy yeah. to take away. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not being okay with it. I'm just saying, you know, no, no, and I was actually just about to uh, just about to get to that because the game like that I'm watching now is you know they're up thirty five to five and or twenty five to five whatever it was and you know he's you know not running back you know sprinting back on defense and 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 I don't know whether it was that he got his first break with about three minutes left in the first half and they played eight minute quarters so he was on there for you know thirteen straight like game minutes and that that takes a toll on anyone. Right. Or, you know, uh, but you can see he has the instincts and you like that. Uh, then they're bringing in uh, Wendell Moore, uh, Wendell Moore, excuse me. He, um, uh, again, another guy who can, who can get to the basket. He has, he has the makeup to be a very good defender, which is something that uh, you really look for with this Duke team because like any team, um, you know they're going to be able to score. And mm-hmm. because Duke, Duke brings in those guys, you know that they're good scorers, especially Matthew Hurt. I'll get to you in a second. He can shoot the lights out. Um, if these guys can come together and defend, and obviously you have a, you know, you have the you know, defensive player of the year in my eyes and Trey Jones, just right there leading you. It's, uh, it's unbelievable what you can do. And Wendell Moore has all the tools to be an elite defender, not a great outside jump shooter. From what I've seen, I can, uh, you'll be seeing, you'll see it more when I do those posts and when I do right. more of my, more of my homework on these guys. 
Um, he's a, he can be a mid range guy. And I think there's definitely value to that and value to, you know, even if you can just take corner threes, that's something that you want from him because, uh, it's, it's something similar, like we said to Zion that, you know, if he can hit corner threes and just spread the defense out a little bit more, it opens up the lane. And, uh, that's actually something I didn't say about Vernon Carey is I love his shot. His, you look, and I think the game that I'm watching right now, he's like three, like two for five, maybe, or three for five from the free throw line. Um, maybe three for six. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, mm-hmm. uh, you look at, you look at his form. It's beautiful. He, he just, it looks so natural. It's smooth. And it's the same thing with his jump shot. Uh, it's a very smooth jumper that even like it leaves his hands and you think, all right, this one's going in. Uh, right. I, I, you don't feel that same way about Stanley or Moore. Um, but again, Moore's a very, very valuable player for this team and someone that uh, as I watch more, I'll be able to see if he's going to be someone who can create off the dribble. I don't necessarily think that will be him in this sense because you have guys like Trey Jones and, uh, you know, Cassius Stanley who will be kicking it out and looking for shooters to kick out, which is where Matthew Hurt comes in. Like I said, dude is a dead red shooter. And it's something that uh, the Duke team from this past season really could, really could have used is that one guy to come in and, uh, you know, hurt, I heard, I think it's like six, 10, six, 11, yeah, big, time, yeah. uh, big time. He's, he's very skinny and, and, you know, it's just, he's a stretch four stretch at times. He could be a stretch five if, if he wanted. And, uh, he's just, you know, one of those guys who can spot up, he can dribble, he can take you in the post and fade away. He's not someone that I necessarily think you'll feed it to him in the post and say, go to work. Mm-hmm. Unless he unless he has a mismatch on him, and then he can use his height. Uh, definitely something to watch is to see if he. Uh, I'm sure he will will gain strength as he like while he's here in the summer at Duke. And uh, yeah, I guess that kind of covers the recruiting class. And then you have the guys coming back. Obviously, you have, you have Trey Jones. Um, of course, it's still an unknown whether or not Javin's going to come back or whether or not Marquise is going to come back. Uh, I, I, if Marquise doesn't come back, which uh, it's kind of looking that way. It's right. from, from like, you know, just the general things that, you know, rumblings, it's not looking like he necessarily will come back. Uh, it leaves you, it leaves you kind of thin because, you know, uh, I do think Javin will come back. I don't necessarily, I mean, see him as someone who would, you know, spend time in the, in the G league, just rather than his senior year. I, I obviously could be wrong, but, uh, yeah, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. You never, you, you never know, but I mean, let's, I mean, for just this case, let's say Javin comes back and Marquise doesn't, um, it still leaves you kind of small there because, you know, you don't even have that Antonio Brankovich to throw in for a couple minutes. If you absolutely need, uh, right. you you, you would need Javin to come in and defend the five. And then there, there's just still so many question marks coming off the bench. You don't know what uh what what are you gonna get from Goldwire who I loved last season. I absolutely oh, I love him too. Love him too. Yeah. Him and absolutely. him and Trey Jones together I think is a terrific lockdown defensive lineup for late for late in the game. Uh but still leaves you with you know, very little shooting. Uh Alex O'Connell hasn't been able to do anything other than be a spot up shooter just yet in his due career. And a lot of it is because uh, he's not getting playing time because when he's out there defending, he gets beat back door a lot. And he's someone that defense is kind of target. 
So it's, it'll be interesting to see. And then Jack White, obviously, uh, I call myself the president of the Jack White family. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it got tough for a while there when he was in that big slump, but uh, you know, he can defend. It's just a matter of whether or not he can, um, he can actually hit his shots. And if he's hitting his corner threes, which is really all that you need from him, it's a different, it's a different kind of Duke team, but it will be interesting to see how it all meshes together. I do think this Duke team has, uh, the potential to be a very good defensive team. I'm not so sure about offense just yet. I'm gonna we're gonna have to wait and see how uh, the shooting comes about. That's a great breakdown. Yeah, I I, uh, I, uh, I I've only seen I've only seen Vernon Carey and Casher Stanley play. Um, mm. I've been impressed with Vernon Carey for a while. I you know, and I was with you, and I love I love that you said that. That it's interesting if Vernon Carey comes in any other year. Before Zion, I think people would just absolutely love Vernon Carey, and and he'd be the hyped recruit. But kind of following following Zion, I mean, everybody's going to compare him to Zion. And then you're right; they're not the same players at all. Obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when I watched Vernon Carey play, and I watched him play uh, one of his high school games, and then I also watched, you know, obviously the mixtapes and highlights of him. And he kind of reminds yeah. me of a of a younger, a little bit more athletic Demarcus Cousins. Um, that's, what, that's the kind of vibe that I get from him just watching him. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't he doesn't play with the you know with the sheer force and veracity that that, right. that the Marcus Cousins plays with. But you know, as far as just kind of his game, you can see he's kind of modeled his game a little bit after Demarcus Cousins. He's big. He's just so massive when you see him out on the court. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's just he, he's just a he's just a freaking beast. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I love, I love him. I, I I love the kid. I think he's going to be tremendous. Um, you know, the motor is always a question, but I don't worry too much about it. I think that, you know, obviously Kay, Kay and the boys will whip him into shape and, you know, they're not going to tolerate that at Duke. And, and, and plus, it's always hard to gauge that in high school. You know, you're playing you're playing these yeah. also-ran teams. You're up by 50, <laughs> you know, so sometimes it's right. hard to gauge yeah. you know, if a guy's playing hard every game or every night. But Yeah, and that's uh, yeah. part of the reason – that's part of the reason why I don't mean to, to cut you off there, but it's right. why when I, when I'm looking up, the, when I'm looking at these guys, I like to see, you know, I try to watch three of their games mm. because, you know, I think you're over a three game stretch. You're probably going to see what they're like as players, both offensively and defensively and what their tendencies are. And I started doing this. Um, I think it was last year when uh, I was doing breakdowns before games for, uh, for the podcast. And, I'd watch a couple, you know, I remember watching NC state games and I watched about like three, I think two or three of them took notes on the players and you know, what they like to run stuff like that. And then to watch them play against Duke and they're running the same things. It's kind of, you, you pick up on the tendency and right. what their certain, what certain players can do. And it's the same way with this. So like right now I'm through like one half of Vernon carry. So I, I can't say for sure. Like, Oh, is he, you know, this dominant in the post or is he, you know, this kind is he not a high motor guy? Uh, that is obviously like like I said, been the knock on him. But um, you figure if it continues over like a three game stretch, like three separate games, then it's then it's a tendency. Then it's right, right. that you know you have to look at. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely, and that's a that's a good observation and 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 a good plan, obviously, to watch three games and to see kind of the patterns and see what the player is and and and, and all that. Yeah, I, I didn't see Matthew Hurt. I did watch Cassius Stanley, um, and yeah. he just comes off the tape with you with his athleticism and his and his just ability. Um, yeah, the shooting needs a little work. <laughs> the shooting definitely yeah. needs a little work. Um, it's amazing to me how these guys like it's just so athletic, and then the way the game is now, like you almost think that shooting is a must now. Like you have 
have to be able to shoot. Yeah. I mean, no, but you know, I mean, you don't have to be Steph Curry, but I mean, you just have to be able to shoot the ball at a at a consistent level, and that's the kind of disappointing thing about him. But I, 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 I when I look at his shot, I don't see it broken. So I think he has an opportunity wow. to get better. So. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'm I'm really impressed with him, and he's got a lot of potential. I didn't see Wendell Moore. I I, I saw highlights of of his mixtape, and and I saw Matthew Hurt, of course, highlights of them. So I didn't see them play, but uh, I'm excited about the Matthew Hurt kid. Obviously, a pure shooter, yeah. um, a guy that I think we haven't had in the last couple of Duke teams, really, um, really since uh, you know, really since um, God, I'm I'm drawing a blank to his name, but um, God, he played on the Luke. Luke, yes, Luke Kennard, yes. Yeah, yeah. Had, you know, we haven't had that pure just shooter since Luke Kennard. Because Grayson, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't say Grayson was a pure shooter. He was more of a scorer than a shooter. But um, yeah, I agree. But yeah, yeah, Matthew Hurt coming in is a is a definite plus, and I love his versatility. You know, you can play him as a stretch four, you can play him as a as a stretch five, and in, in certain instances, you can also kind of probably play the three in certain in certain in certain uh, lineups. Yeah, if you want to go extremely so, big, yeah. Right, right, right. So I, I like that. Um, what did you feel about the Trey Jones thing coming back? Because I thought that was big for us, you know, uh, having Trey Jones oh, come that, back. That was huge. It changed everything. It changed absolutely yeah. everything because going uh, without Trey, I don't know what this team would be this season, honestly. you Because as, I mean, we know, like, when Duke teams are, when Duke has teams that struggle, it's because they don't have a true point guard. They don't have someone to handle the ball for them. Um and boy, to bring back Trey, who, I mean, led the country or led, I think he led, maybe led the country in assist to turnover ratio. If not, oh, he led the country, yeah, he led the country, led, yeah. led, led the country in assist to turnover ratio. Uh, someone, he just, he's so steady and I, you know, he's going to come out this year and it, he's not going to be playing with RJ cam and Zion. He's going to be playing with guys who obviously are extremely talented, but I, I expect him. I really do expect him to, uh, to score more this year and to get to, he's so he, he's sneakily quick. Yeah. And you know, the way he can get to the basket, I'm expecting, I expect him, obviously he's a true point guard, but to call his own number a little more and uh, boy, him coming back just offensively to run the offense defensively. He's just locked down. He's, you know, you put him on, it's, it's one thing you just don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about who's going to guard the opposing team's best guard because you know, it's going to be Trey and you know that, even if the even if whoever it is uh, plays well, uh, it's going to be a str- it's going to be tough for them because you know you just know what Trey is. I, it's it's really I think the most important. I mean, you can call it a get if you want, but it's pr- just so important for this team this year. Uh, absolutely, absolutely huge, and I was so happy when when I saw that happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I was ecstatic. I, I wanted him to come back, and I love that he came back because it was very easy for him to just go. Um, but but he came back. He saw that he needed to work. His, and I think he's a college point guard. I, I don't know about his prospects in the NBA, but I, I think he's just a prototypical college point guard. I can see him being a guy that plays four years, just phenomenal, gets better every year, a leader. Um, mm. I, I love I love that he came back, and 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 I think you noticed it as soon as he came back. Obviously, Matthew Hurt committed, and you know, Cassia Stanley committed. So I think that that played a big role in the recruiting as well is that guys want to play with, with a guy like Trey Jones as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm excited for him to come back. You know, what do you think the starting lineup looks like? Oh, I, I, before that, Ooh. though, before that, yeah, um, sure. you mentioned Javin and, and Marquise Marquise. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I think Marquise kind of goes, I think he sees the writing on the wall. I, I don't think he's going to get to start with, with Vernon being there. So I think Marquise probably feels like, yeah, it's time to go. Um, Javin, I, I I'm with you. I, I want to see him come back. 
and, and the thing about Javin is how great defensively he is. Um, yeah. He can guard multiple positions, um, long, athletic, plays hard. Um, I, I could see him coming back, especially for his senior year. If he comes back, I, I'm not as worried about the bench as you are, um, because mm-hmm. I think when he comes back, obviously he can he could be Vernon's backup. He can play the four uh, in yeah. certain stretches. If you want to play him at the three, you probably can get away with it for a possession or two. So you know he can be a backup there. And then obviously you got Jack White. I think the the three main Star Wars coming off the bench this year would be Goldwire, Jack White, and Javin if he comes back. Um, Absolutely. The X factor for me is Joey Baker, and I didn't see, and I haven't heard you mm. mention him and, and talk about him. Yeah, um, I, I I like Joey Baker. Um, the little bit of stretches, it's hard to kind of gauge him because he didn't play that much. I know he ripped, they ripped up his red shirt uh, for that Syracuse game, and the kid's got some games. He's shown some flashes. I, I kind of want him. I kind of want to see him play more. I kind of want him to see selfishly kind of take Alex McConnell's place, you know, because Alex just mm-hmm. really hasn't really hasn't just delivered. He hasn't become that player that I thought he would be um, being a Duke and not all his fault, but he just hasn't been able to be consistent. Joey Baker to me is an X factor because if he can, if he can play well and score as, as well as I think he can score, you know, he's a guy that I think will find himself playing a lot. Um, yeah. And who knows, maybe even starting, uh, who knows what's your, what's your outlook on Joey Baker? Uh, I think it, I, I'm glad you brought him up. I know I kind of, skipped over him there. I was kind of thinking of the guys that played mostly this season right. and slipped my mind there. But That's okay. uh, at the same time, uh, it's really interesting. And I want to put it out there first. And a lot of people have been saying it because a lot of people were upset that, you know, they ripped his red shirt and, and all that stuff. But uh, he was never going to be a four year player for Duke. Uh, he's so talented. Um, they never saw him as being, a four-year guy. The reason he came in early was because was really for this upcoming season. He came in early. They want him to redshirt, get his body ready, so then he'd be even better coming into this season. Um, and look, obviously, he's still he's, he's basically still a freshman. Like I'm honestly thinking about putting him in the uh, freshman focus stuff that I do, and mm-hmm. just for a little caveat because we have we really haven't seen him play. We don't really. Uh, I mean, we know a bit about him, but. Um, it, it'll be really interesting. Like uh, from watching him last year, watching him in high school, um, he's, he's raw. He's a very raw talent. You can see that, you know, um, he was someone that as I was watching, there were the rumors about him redshirting and I could see it right away Sim- just because his game didn't look ready. Like right. some guys, like you watch like Vernon Carey play, you watch, you know, Matthew Hurt play and you're like, all right, yeah, you can see how it's going to translate to college. He was someone that it looked like, you know, he had to work a bit more than other people to, to get his game right. And to work, he's a shooter. He's something that he's someone that with confidence, with open shots, he can knock them down. And I think he he can be an important piece to this team. I think though, um, a lot of what happens with coach K as we know, he likes to, uh, really just go eight deep and occasionally will go nine or 10 if absolutely necessary, if it's a blowout. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's important for, for Joey Baker if uh, to get playing time this year really is um, he needs to establish himself early on or throughout this summer, especially. And, you know, in those preseason games, he needs to show, Hey, I should be getting playing time. Uh, what kind of player he is. I still don't really know um, from, you know, he looked uncomfortable with when he had the ball this year, when uh, the limited times that he played, 
Um, obviously, I think like his the first shot he took was an air ball, and uh, that's just you know. Right. it's just a little funny anecdote that you can, you know, tell your grandkids about or whatever, but, um, defensively, I think, I think it'll be, in, it'll be interesting. I haven't, I'll have to kind of rewatch maybe the possessions that he was in. Um, and also, you know, watch his high, his high school games again, because it's so difficult in such a small sample size, uh, to see, but I think he can be someone that, um, can help this Duke team, but I'm not sure how much he'll actually play just yet. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's a lot of hype around him. He's, he's kind of a mysterious oh, yeah. guy. A, a lot of people see a lot of potential in him and seen his high school tape. And, you know, he came in with some, some kind of notoriety that I think a lot of people are just oh, like, yeah. what is this guy? Unleash this guy to the world. Um, and the little bit I've seen of him, I, I, I've liked and I've been impressed. So, yeah, I think it's interesting to see. I think he's a wild card. I think he's an X factor for next year as well. I think if he develops and plays the way that I think a lot of people see him playing as, uh, you know, he can kind of make this his mark on this team, too. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting. Um, I asked you, um, what do you think the starting lineup looks like? Right. Um, uh, well, I think the the obvious ones, the obvious one is Trey. Trey right. Trey's definitely going to start. He's going to be the starting point guard, and you you love that. Uh, right. not re- I, I don't think, well, I think actually kind of is now, like when, it, when Boogie Ellis was supposed to be on the team, uh, you weren't sure like, Hey, Boogie could really shoot. He was someone that I was very excited for because of his ability to shoot and he'd be able to spread the floor. But um, with him not there, I do think Cassius Stanley will start at the two uh, Wendell Moore at the three. And then this is where it kind of gets interesting because um, if, if Javin comes back, coach, uh, coach K loves, loves Javin. And for all the reasons that you said before, Javin was unbelievable in the tournament. He played like yeah. a completely different, like a completely different person. He was tremendous in, in, in the tournament. But I think that Duke's best lineup will come with those three guys. And then you have Hurt at the four and then carry at the five, but mm. I wouldn't be, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Javin start at the four and then carry at the five. And then maybe, you know, you have hurt come off the bench. Maybe you want to have uh, more come off the bench. Uh, I think it's definitely, it's definitely interesting and I'm not really sure how they'll go. I think, but I, personally, I think their best lineup will be with hurt at the four and then carry at the five. Interesting. Yeah. I think Javin does play a big role in that. Um, seeing him, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he does come back, Javin's the guy. Um, just kind of knowing yeah. Coach K's tendencies, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Javin's a guy just because of everything he brings you. And then when you when you have a young team, um, kind of having that veteran out there with like, with Trey, and even with, with with Javin, having that guy out there that's a veteran, that's 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 yeah. a senior, that leadership. Um, I, I think it's important, and I and I don't think it's a be, and I don't think it'll be a long term thing too. I think you can have Javin maybe start the season. And then, you know, as the season goes along, if hurt continues to play well off the bench or, you know, he develops even more, I think you could switch that lineup easily. And, and I don't think it causes an issue. Um, I, yeah. Wendell Moore at the, at the three is a little bit iffy because of Kent, again, Joey Baker is the, the X factor there. If he, if yeah. he shows out in the preseason, I can see Joey Baker maybe forcing his way into the starting lineup. Um, mm-hmm. And pushing Wendell Moore to the bench, so it's, it's it's very it's very up in the air. I agree with you. I was just kind of throwing that out there because a, a lot of talk about what the starting lineup would be. I think most people think like you that it'll be um, Trey, obviously 
Cassius Stanley, Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt, and and uh, and Vernon. But yeah. I, I think it's still up in the air. I think especially the three and the four are still definitely up in the air. So um, yeah, yeah it, should be, it should be interesting. It should be definitely interesting. Yeah, it's something to something to look forward to for sure. Yeah, see how it all yeah. shakes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll see. It's it's a little. Too, I know it's too early to be talking about college basketball. So, uh, <laughs> I know. We'll, uh, I know our listeners are going to be like, "What the heck?" You know, like. <laughs> but no, it's, it's it's. I just wanted to have you pick your brain about it because it's yeah, still kind of course. fresh in my mind as far as Duke and, and and the loss and the roster going into next year. Um, yeah. But before before we kind of transition over though. Um, do you see do you see Cam getting drafted in the first round of the NBA draft? I mean, we're not in the first round, but in the first five or six picks, um, he's kind of the one guy that that I've seen. He can go as high as four. He can go as low as maybe 10, 11, 12. Um, do, do you kind of see him in that range or do you see him higher or lower? What do you think? It's so difficult and it really gets down to what do you, who do you believe the real like Cam Reddish is? Right. Because at, at Duke, he, you know, it's tough to justify, you know, just from like a front office perspective, can you justify saying, you know, look, I understand this guy shot, you know, 30% from three or whatever it was. And like 35, 40% from the field, uh, his numbers aren't great. He had a lot of turnovers, but he's someone that we want to take with the fourth overall pick. That's a difficult sell. But at the same time, you you watch him, you watch him in high school, you watch his workouts. It, he's, he is unbelievable. He is a, uh, an NBA draft combine darling. Someone right. has all the, all the measurables, you know, he can defend. Uh, he's six, eight has a really nice shot. Uh, it, it's, it's really difficult. I, I don't think he'll, go past eight. I think I'd see him anywhere in the four to seven range, just simply because of the talent that he has there. And the fact that um, a lot of times when you pick in the top 10, you want to, especially I say even the top seven, you want to pick and you're trying to find, you want to, you have to nail that pick. You really, you really do. Because if you can't hit on a, on a pick one through seven, it's going to be a difficult draft. It's going to be a difficult way to develop your team. And, uh, you know, you can miss on let's, you know, a guy who maybe is a a low or has a high floor, but maybe a a low ceiling, or you can take the risk and take a guy like cam where you don't really know what the floor is because he was pretty off at Duke. And then, but his ceiling is, you know, I don't want to steal MJ's line and say the ceiling's the roof, but um, <laughs> you know, it, his ceiling is so high. You see the athleticism, and I do think his game is more similar with uh, with RJ, with uh, more space and better shooters, and the way the defenses play, he'll be a lot better in the NBA. And I think that's the case with uh, both RJ and Cam. And I, yeah. I, I don't see, I don't see Cam falling past seven. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I, I I think it's hard to really evaluate Cam Reddish because it's it's hard. I mean, he played with two superstars essentially, and his yeah. game. I mean, when when you have these super teams, one guy 
inherently is going to have to adjust his game. And Cam Reddish was the guy. He, he became more of a spot-up shooter, and I don't think that's his game, obviously. I think he's – and you got to think about it. All his life, his entire basketball career, he was the guy. He had the ball in his hands. Oh, yeah. He shots for himself. Um, I, I like I like the kid. Uh, I, it, that, oh, yeah. I think that was one of the most disappointing aspects of this season was was watching Cam Reddish and 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 just you, like you saw the flashes. It's like man, I see it. It's yeah. there. Like you know. And then it's like it, it just didn't. It just you just like you couldn't quite get there with him. It's like you you saw flashes of it, and it's like man, if this kid ever puts it together. Um, I remember that yeah. that um, what 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 game did he have that was just that phenomenal game. Um, I think it was that uh, was it the, was it the game like right after um, Cam got hurt or not Cam Zion got hurt and he just balled out. It was one of those games. It's hard. They all yeah. after a while, but um, yeah, really, really played well. And he showed flashes of it. He's just like, man, this kid. If 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 he could just do this every game, it's amazing. But yeah, he'd be he'd be he'd be a beast. But yeah, no, I I agree with you, man. I, I love Cam Reddish. I love his potential. I agree with you. I don't see him sliding past maybe eight. Um, um, to me, you know, to me, once you get past the top three, it's all based on potential. I mean, you're really, I mean, absolutely. It, can you really tell me right now that Darius Garland is that much better of a pro prospect than Cam Reddish? I mean, they yeah. Darius Garland played what one game, <laughs> one or two games. Yeah, like, he, only, he only played a couple games. Yeah, man. yeah, exactly. And then he got hurt, and I, I like that kid too. But I mean, you can't really sit here and tell me that you you'd make a better bet with Darius Garland than Cam Reddish. I mean, I I don't think that's right. a fair I don't think that's a fair assessment. So a lot of the NBA draft is just projecting and 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 see looking at ceiling and it, I think you'll find a GM that thinks Cam Reddish is it's got a high ceiling and it's gonna bet on that. So we'll see. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Play. The Hawks the Hawks have been a team that's been rumored to absolutely love him because they love his size and they love his ability to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you could shoot and have that size and 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 that ability to create your own shot, I, I think, you know, I think he he's got a shot. He's definitely got a shot. Um, Just think of yeah, him, him, Herder, and uh, and uh, Trey. Yeah, the Hawks are the Hawks are building something there. They really are building absolutely. something there. Um, and it's good to see. It's good to see. Um, yeah, let's transition out of uh, college basketball. Uh, let's put the Duke thing to bed. Um, Let's talk about our Mets. Um, this time <laughs> last week, this time last week, uh, it seemed to be a dumpster fire around the Mets. They had just gotten swept by the yeah. Marlins. Uh, Mickey Calloway was 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 hanging on by a thread. Um, and obviously, this week, I mean, it, it, it's the nature of baseball. I mean, that's why it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, one week can change everything. They're winning today so far. I won't spoil it, but. Um, just talk about the last week <laughs> of being a Met fan. Just talk about everything that went through. I mean, I, I, it was funny. I posted a meme that one of my friends sent me. Um, it was basically the newswire in MLB at bat where for 45 minutes you had obviously the Mickey, the Mickey Calloway and, 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 uh, Brody Van Wagenen meeting, and then you had Brody Van Wagenen coming out with the with the injury to Jonas Cespedes. Then you, have, I mean, it's yeah. just like four stories in a span of forty five minutes. And I'm like, yep, that encapsulates being a Mets fan. Like that just essentially encapsulates this Mets season, being a Mets fan. So, talk about this past week, um, everything that has gone on. I, I guess we could start with the Mickey Callaway thing. Are you one of the guys that think Mickey really Callaway should be fired? Do you think he should be fired, but it's not all his fault? Do you think you should give him some more time? Where do you stand on the whole Mickey Callaway thing? Um, well, I think you summarized the week pretty pretty well in just that 
I'll get to your question in a second. It's just that, you know, you think that you can't get much worse than getting swept by the Marlins and, you know, not even being able to get hits. And then even, and then when you do get hits, your pitching doesn't go. And then, you know, you start off a press conference saying that your star player who was probably going to be out for the year anyway is out, is definitely out for the year because he fell into a hole in his ranch. And then you get to, by the way, um, you know, uh, Jed Lowry, we just put him on a 60 day DL because he's still hurt and he got another injury. And then it turns into, Oh, by the way, the real reason that we're all here is because, uh, Mickey Callaway is actually safe. His job is fine. Uh, we gave him a vote of confidence, but a vote of confidence basically just for now by being vague and saying he's our coach, uh, you know, like now and, um, you know, into the future, whatever the exact verbiage was. For the foreseeable future, that was the, that was for the, the foreseeable exact. future. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's a nice way of saying he's still our manager. Now, if he can, if this slide continues, he won't be the manager much longer. Personally, um, he makes some really, really difficult, difficult decisions. Uh, he, he, I don't think I've seen a manager like to double switch more than he does. Oh my and God. I, 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 yes. It's crazy. It's really nuts. Um, I personally am a guy that I don't think it's really Mickey's fault. Uh, I read a really, uh, a good piece in the athletic from, uh, Ken Rosenthal saying that, yeah. um, you know, he's basically fed the lineup. He's, he shows up on the first, uh, he shows up for the, for the day and, on his desk, they're the guys that, you know, the upper management wants to play. And he, if he wants to keep his job, he's going to play those guys. And that's Which is absolutely doing, so. ridiculous. I mean, it's, oh, just, oh, it's just a joke. It's Look, you know, I understand looking at the numbers and saying we want this guy to play, but um, it, I, I, I like Mickey. I do. His bullpen management isn't the best. Um, like I, even in the national series, just this past week when they swept the four game series from the nationals, um, in the last game, when I, you know, I, you really need, they kind of needed that game. It's, it's tough to say, cause they would have won three out of four either way. Um, he had Gazelman in and you can kind of mm-hmm. just tell Gazelman didn't, he just didn't have it and left him in, gave up, gave up the big hit. Luckily, they came back the next, you know, the, that bottom of the inning, and right. Carlos Gomez hit a huge home run. So it, it worked out, but obviously that didn't, you know, that part of it didn't work out. Uh, yesterday, I thought he did a tremendous job of uh, of managing because you could see that Gazelman didn't have it late, in, uh, right? Because they tried to get him to go two innings so that then they could go to Diaz in the ninth. And you could see that, you know, it was like, I think it was runner on third, two outs. Uh, and Gazelman had just gotten like a weak ground out, but you could see that he was hanging his slider. He was hanging his curveball. He didn't really have it. He brought in Diaz, which is a whole nother thing that we can talk about is how the Mets are going against their word. And uh, it's so difficult uh, to, to manage that way. When you're told one thing, you're told Mm-hmm. more outs, but I thought he made the right call bringing in Diaz and look, Diaz blew the save. It was his first blown save as a Met, but he, it, you know, he made the right call there. And then obviously um, he pinch hit Nito and that, you know, he kept him in the game and that worked out. But uh, I like Mickey. 
I do think he, especially last year, he was just given an awful roster, just an awful roster. And this year he's given, he was given a bit better of a roster, but even then you look at the lineup that's out there today and you know, you have Carlos Gomez in left, a Danny Hechevarria is playing second, Todd Frazier is playing third. Uh, you have Juan Lagares playing center, great defensive center fielder, but he can't, he still can't hit. Um, it's you're putting your manager in a tough spot there. I don't think all of it is his fault. I don't think it's ever fully a manager's fault, right. but I said it before that, look, if they fire him, like, I don't think it's going to necessarily change anything, like a lot of things and the players seem to like him, but at the same time, look, if it happens, it happens. It's something that, you know, it may change the course season. It may not. I don't think he's to blame, but if they do it at this point, oh, well, it's, it's what happens. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I disagree with the Diaz move yesterday. I just, I was like, hmm. just let, let, let Gazelman get out of it. I, I, I agree with you. He, he looked like he didn't have it, but to me, you're going to need Gazelman in this season. If you're going to do anything with this team and, 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 and yeah. this bullpen, you need Gazelman to get through these situations. And um, I, I think it was probably better served to keep. Now I know hindsight is 2020. Obviously, if Diaz had gotten me out there, no one, I wouldn't even be thinking this. Clearly, I mean, it's just the nature of of sports, right? But right. second guessing. But I, I just, I didn't love the move there. I, I can see the person. I can see your, your, pers- your, your perspective on. On it I, i'm okay with it um but just in general though his bullpen handling I, i'm not as high on mickey as yeah. you are um i like him i think he's a good person i get an art how vibe from him that i just i don't think he's just <laughs> a New York guy I, I i just think he doesn't i mean he's still awkward in his press conferences oh yeah um, and, and I've never bought into, you know, to be a New York manager, you got to be the, the, the asshole, the guy that's just going to go out there and spew nonsense and false bravado. Like I've, I've never bought that. I, I think managers are managers and they're good managers because they can, they can actually manage your team. Well, not how they handle it. Right. I think it's an aspect of it. It's an underrated aspect of it, but you know, I don't think you need to be that gruff and asshole type to be a great manager in New York. I, I just, I've never bought that. Um, that being said, he still looks very awkward in his press conferences. Some of the answers, oh, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Some of the answers, some of the answers that he gives, I'm just like, what? Like, did did you watch the game? Like, what, what, I, I, and I think he means well. I just think he's just his personality, and I think it does just doesn't mesh well here. It, it, again, it's he's, a, very, he's a very yeah, he's a very quiet guy. He's someone that you know, if he you know he would speak to the media. But if he didn't have to, I don't necessarily think he would. And yeah, not out of like, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not going to talk to the media. I think it, it's more out of, you know, simply just that, you know, he just wants to go out there and manage a baseball game. And uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, um, we look at Alex Cora and uh, as an unbelievable manager. And I, I think rightfully so. I think he's a very good manager. Right, right. But I mean, if let's say in some alternate universe, you know, he decided he wanted to go to the Mets and he's managing the Mets. Are we looking at him as being a really good manager? Because, you know, look, a manager can only do so much with with the pieces that they're given. And I just don't know if, you know, he was given unbelievable pieces in, in, uh, in Boston to work with, but, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah. I get it. I understand. I mean, that's it. And, and every sport is like that. I mean, you know, 
put Bill Belichick, you know, instead of having Tom Brady with Bill Belichick, give Tom, you know, give Bill Belichick uh, Geno Smith. Is he the same coach? Of course. <laughs> I mean, it, it, obviously, it's the same aspect uh, in every sport. You need talent. You need players to play. You need players to perform. I get that. Right. I've always felt that a manager over 162, I think a manager's a manager can win you seven to ten games. I really do. Yeah, just on his management, absolutely. just on his on his bullpen moves, just on his roster configuration. I think managers are important. I think, and I think we live absolutely. in this era now where I think managers have been devalued. And I do agree. Over over the course of 162, seven to ten games isn't much. You know, I get that. I understand that. But I think yeah. what you're really seeing managers be overlooked is in the postseason. I think managers are everything in the postseason. And when you yeah. have a manager that can't do the job or is ill-fitted to do the job, I think it definitely shows in September and it definitely shows in October. I mean, you need these guys to be able to know what they're doing. Um, I'm with you with Mickey. I don't think he was given a great roster, but I just think it's just uh, something about him. Now, I I, I'll, I won't totally bash him because I gave him credit for last year. That team really played yeah. well in the second half, and that team could have fell apart. That team could have completely yeah. crashed and burned. They could have lost 95 games, and nobody would have batted an eye. But that team hung yeah. in there. They fought. They played better as the season went along. Now, granted, it was July through September, and they had probably one of the worst Junes in the history of oh. – Oh man. <laughs> I mean the history of Mets baseball. <laughs> That's saying a lot for a team for a franchise that had a forty and one twenty season. Um, what was it? What was it? Five and twenty-five? Yeah, five and it was like five and yeah, it was like four and twenty-six or four and it was just horrible, horrible baseball. Uh so I give him credit. I gave him credit for that. I gave him credit. You know, that team didn't give up on him. And that showed me a lot from him. And I came into this year with an open mind on Mickey Calloway that maybe he's gotten better. It's still the bullpen management. Yeah, I think maybe it's comfortable. Yeah, no, the bullpen management suspect. Absolutely. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, the way he handles the media. And again, I'm not saying he needs to be, you know, I'm not saying he needs to be Bobby Valentine or anything, but I just, it's just <laughs> the way he handles the media, is, it leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, it's just some of yeah. his moves and strategies. It's just not all his fault. So who would you place the blame on then? Is, is it, is it Brody Van Wagen and some of his moves have not worked out? I, who would you place the blame on this season for? It's so, I mean, it's beating a dead horse, but when you have owners that refuse to, to spend money in a, <sighs> in a big market, it's what, this is what happens. You know, if you look, you know, uh, I think some in the article, uh, the Ken Rosenthal article, um, he stated, or might've been a different article on ESPN, uh, stated that, you know, the Mets payroll is like 155 or 159, something like that. And you're like, oh, that's actually, you know, not bad. But then you account for the fact that Cespedes 100% is not going to play this season. David right. Wright is 100% not going to play this season because he essentially exactly. retired without retiring. And on, from the insurance policies, they're going to get money back. And if they don't reinvest that money, you're looking at a payroll of like $125 million, which is not going to be competitive unless you have young, really, really young guys that are coming up that, you know, can make that big of a difference. And then you can like, if you have, let's say like uh, Francisco Lindor kind of player where, you know, before arbitration, he's making like a million dollars, like, sure. That brings your payroll down a lot. But uh, the fact of the fact of the matter is that yes, they brought in Cano and he's getting paid a lot. Yes, they they're bringing they brought in Wilson Ramos and uh, you know guys like that and Jed Lowry. But at the end of the day, 
this is a New York market. There, the Mets needed a third baseman or shortstop, whatever you wanted to call Manny Machado. They, they could absolutely have used a left fielder or a right fielder, or if Bryce Harper could play center field, you, you can bring in Bryce Harper. But the fact of the matter is that they can't, they, they didn't. And, uh, as long as this ownership is, uh, in control of the team and really just in investing in the day-to-day operations of this team. And they really do. They meddle a lot in the day-to-day operations of, of this team. It's going to be tough to be successful. Now, look, if they say, you know what, um, you know, I don't care anymore about saving money. We're going to go out and spend, we're going to get the best players. I'll give them credit because they'll deserve that sort of credit. But if you're letting top free agents go and they're not even being rumored to come. Yes, that's the, oh, thank you for bringing it up. That was the issue. I, they don't even get uh, meetings. Like in the past, like in the past, they would at least meet with a Vladimir Guerrero. They would at least meet with some of these free agents. And, and you know, the, the, the classic Met thing, well, we offered him a contract and he didn't accept it. Now there's no word on what contract they offered him or whatever, but blah, blah, right. blah. So it was the perfect spin by the Wilpons to say, oh yeah, we're trying to spend money. See, we're made in a, yeah, we made Vladimir a five-year Ten million offer? No, he got <laughs> one hundred fifty million by the Angels. Like that wasn't an offer. Like, but you know, no. but I get it. Like, but no, they're not even getting meetings. They're not even being rumored. No. Like, it's not even a. You're not even having a a, a dinner with the guy just to see. No. You know, just to see if you could kind of lowball him. Nothing. Nothing. That's the upsetting part. Manny Machado. Like I sat there all winter and I was like, sign Manny Machado. David Wright retired. You have a huge hole at third base. He wants to come to New York. Obviously he wants to be a Yankee, but he wants to come to New York. Like sell him on New York. Yeah. Sell him on the East coast. Sell him on New York. Sell him on the fact that you come to the Mets. You're the face of the Mets. You're 26 years old. You could be a Met great for 10 years play third base you can even play shortstop maybe move Ahmed Rosario to second or move Ahmed to third or trade Ahmed for another piece like what you that wrote itself I was never high on Bryce Harper I think Bryce Harper's overrated I would have never paid Bryce Harper that money so I I wanted nothing to do with Bryce Harper but even Bryce Harper at least a meeting with the guy yeah I mean look I I hate first of all uh just for an update for everyone listening, it's a uh, Sunday afternoon and the Mets did just take the second the, or the, the third game of the series right. uh, against Detroit. Edwin Diaz struggled a bit, but was able to get through it with uh, a big strikeout there at the end. But um, uh, look, getting, getting back to the topic, it's, it's a simple fact that look at the, I, I hate talking about the Yankees. I, 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 it's known. Everyone knows. I just don't like the Yankees at all, but look, uh, <laughs> I mean, but look at, but, Look, I mean, with the Mets, like you hear a lot about Cespedes. It's the big contract that they gave and whatever and, and all that kind of crap and whatever. The Yankees are still paying Jacoby Ellsbury to, to sit and do nothing. Yes, he and, is in Siberia. He is in, I have never seen a team that literally has a player of Jacoby, Cal, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury's caliber. Now, we can argue whether Jacoby El- wasn't worth the money. I get it. But he's still a decent player. And they're just basically yeah. paying him to not be there. Yep. And you know, and look, that's what, uh, look, they think, and they know that, Hey, uh, when everyone's healthy, Aaron judge, uh, John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Hicks and Brett Gardner are all better options than him. And they're not messing around. They're saying, look, yeah, I understand we're paying you all this money, but at the same time, just because we're paying you that money, we're not going to play you. 
if you're not performing. And that's and look, how, the Mets are still throwing Jason Vargas every fifth day, oh and Todd God. Frazier and Todd Frazier is still going out there and playing third base every day, despite an extremely low batting average and despite Vargas not being able to throw more than five innings. Uh, it's you know, and that's just a sign of a bad organization versus a good organization. Absolutely, where I, you have I, one team that look okay, we're we understand we paid you all this money. We can't really just get rid of you because uh, no one wants you at the contract that we paid you. We're going to keep you, but you're going to sit the bench versus okay. Todd Frazier, you're hitting, you know, 200. Uh, we're going to play you at third base every day. And Jason Vargas, we understand that uh, you have like a five ERA and that you can't go, you know, more than five innings, but you're still going out there every fifth day. It's, it's, it would be so easy to cut bait go and wait until after the draft, sign Dallas Keuchel, uh, sign, sign Craig Kimbrell once the draft picks are no longer attached to them, and then go from there. But at the same, but it's two different organizations. One run well, one not. And, 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 and the issue that, and I, I, you took all the words out of my head. It, it, you, I couldn't have said it any better. Todd Frazier, Jason Farr. I'm, I'm more upset. At least Todd Frazier, like, I can understand it. He has a track record, you know, and plus I think he's a popular guy in the clubhouse. He's one of those guys. Yeah. I get that part. Jason Vargas, enough already. Like, enough. Yep. Enough. Like, how much more do we – the guy's been terrible for a year. Plus, he's awful. Like, enough oh, already. Yeah. Like, I'd rather see John Neese at this point. Like bring back Jonathan Neese. Whoa, 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 whoa. Over That's... Jason Vargas? I swear to you, I'd rather watch Jonathan Neese. Oh, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't blame I, you. I'd rather watch Jonathan Neese. I mean, Jason Vargas is terrible. I never loved that signing. Never. I was like, really? Yeah, Jason Vargas? Yeah. I, I just, I, I wasn't never... it. And then for the amount of money that they gave him, I was just like, what? Oh, God, I never loved that signing. Like, so enough already. Like, enough with Jay. Like, you can't tell me that you don't have a pitcher in that system that is better than Jason Vargas at this point. Like, you, can, you just cannot tell me. Or at least equal no. to Jason Vargas. At least equal. I'm sure you can find a guy in Syracuse or in Binghamton that can give you a five ERA like Jason Vargas. And you're not paying $9 million to. Yeah, I mean, I don't, hey, well, one of the one of those guys just went onto the uh, injured list, and Matt Harvey. <sighs> I mean, Hector Santiago. I mean, I wouldn't even mind if they just cut Vargas yeah. and just put Santiago there. You can't tell me he's that <laughs> much worse. You can't tell me he's yeah. worse. I, yeah. I, I just, yeah, and then the Frazier thing. Uh, you know, I'm with you, man. I, I, I'm. How did you feel about the Cano signing? Because the Cano thing, I think, is part hmm. of this. Uh, and look, I, the, the hustling thing, I've always felt the hustling thing is overrated. Got, you know, people care about hustling. People care about hustling when they when they're, when your team is losing. When your team when if the Mets were 40, if the Mets were 30 and 15 and Cano not hustling, but he was still hitting 300, nobody would care. I, I so I've always right. I've never bought that. I think it's I think it's BS. You know, I think people make yeah. it a, a story when when a team's underperforming. Oh, he's not hustling. I, I I've never bought that. That being said, I never liked the Cano signing. It was I, I thought it was an overpay to me. I'm not because here's the thing: the Mets had all the leverage in that trade because the Mariners were not trading Cano anywhere else. He didn't want to go anywhere else. No, Cano no. told the Mariners, "I only want to go to New York or even, or maybe even L.A." The Angels weren't taking his contract. The Dodgers no. weren't even touching him. So that left no. two teams for you: the Yankees or the Mets. And the Yankees had wanted nothing to do with Robinson Cano, so I left the Mets. The Mets had had to know they had all the leverage in the negotiations. So I'll take. Cano, but you're eating most of the money. 
Give me Diaz. I'll get. I'll throw in. You know, we'll take Bruce. I'll give you a a, a nice prospect, but I'm not giving you Kalanick. Mm. Like, and if that's the case, and if the Mariners were so dead set on getting Kalanick, then just make the deal straight up for Edwin Diaz for Kalanick. I think that's definitely an interesting point, and obviously giving up uh, Kalanick's really difficult because, I mean, everything says that he's a really toolsy great hitter, great, you know, very good outfielder. And look, he's, he's absolutely tearing up uh, where I don't, I don't know exactly where he is. I think he may be an a ball. He's tearing it up right now for, and you know, good for him. That's great. I liked the Cano signing. I, I like the trade for Cano. I mean, I hated giving him up. I giving up done. I thought was fine. Giving up everything else they gave up. I thought was fine. Right. Kalanick hurt because you knew that, you know, he was, he, they had just drafted him. And he, they were extremely, you know, people were high on him. Uh, the reason I liked, I liked getting Cano was because he didn't look like he had regressed at all. Just, I mean, obviously there was the PED thing, but you looked at his numbers from, you know, previous years, he was still hitting high average. Uh, wasn't hit, playing in a home run hitters ballpark. Still was hitting home runs, mm-hmm. driving in runs. And then last year, when his season stopped because of the PDs and he came back and still hit like a 300 or whatever it was that gave me confidence. And obviously look, he's struggling. He, he's struggling right now. Uh, the injury obviously is not something that you want to see, but boy, he needed some time to clear his head. And I think the same thing was with Jerry's familiar. He needed time to clear his head. Hopefully this, you know, rejuvenates Robbie and get them going again. I liked it. I didn't like giving up Kalanick, but you know, at the end of the day, if you want to win right now, which is what Brody has said, what the Mets have said, they're in it to win right now. Then look, sometimes you have to give up, you know, you have to give to get and they boy, boy, did they because, and look, Kalanick, you, you think if your windows right now for the next three to four years, you may not see Kalanick in the majors during that time. And then at that point, he's not really like of too much use for you. So I understand the thinking there, but Boy, it's 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 tough, especially with Robbie struggling and how he's playing in the minors right now. Yeah, no, I, I look. I, I, I'm not. I'm not one of those that likes to hoard prospects. I get it. Yeah. I, who knows with these guys? I mean, for every Kelnick, there's a Alex Exobar that comes up and just does absolutely nothing and is overhyped. Right. For so I get, I, I, I understand that. I get that. And I'm not just trying yeah. to say that because Kalnick, I always mispronounce his name. Kalnick, Kalnick. <laughs> no, yeah. I've, I've heard um, so many different uh, pronunciations. Right. Right. I mean, if he was hitting 210 in a ball Montana or wherever the hell he is, like, would I be saying the same thing? Probably, but I, it, not with as much same, not with the same vigor, but I mean, look, I just didn't like the Cano deal because because the point that you brought up is they're trying to win now, so make the Cano deal. But if and that's what the that's what Brody and Jeff said that you know they're trying to win now and they yeah. got out to win now. But to me, if you get Cano, why get Cano? You could have just got Machado. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. That, that, that's that's my issue. Like you you could have got Machado. All he, all it would have cost you was money. Now I know it's easy to say three hundred million is all <laughs> money, but I mean it's not our yeah. money, obviously. But three hundred million put put Machado at shortstop at third. You already had a second baseman in place in McNeil, who oh, yeah is 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 living up or even exceeding expectations at this point. Oh, like I love I, I just, that guy. I love that guy. He's a great hitter. Great hitter. Like. I just didn't find if a you didn't need Cano at the position that you got him, and then it's like if you're telling me what well, we're trying to win now, then sign Machado, 
Sai Machado. Yeah. But yeah. But that's yeah, the issue that I have with it. It's like you can't tell me what well, you're trying to win now. It's like, well, we were not gonna try, we're not we don't have the money or we don't want to spend the money on Machado, but here's Cano. Here's Cano. Like, hey, see, we're trying to win. Like, that's why I didn't like that trade. It just it just bothered yeah. me. Now, of course, getting Diaz, getting a closure of that caliber, I get it. And and the and, and the and the thing that they always try to spin it is, oh, well, we got Diaz in the deal. We got Diaz in the deal. Okay, great. But to me, I think you could have just did the deal for Diaz straight up. Now, I know the Mariners probably wouldn't have did that, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Just say, hey, you know what? We don't want Cano. We'll give you we'll give you Kelnick. We'll give you Dunn. We'll even throw in another prospect just to make you happy. Give us Diaz. Yeah. I I, I, I would have been much better with that than th- throwing in Cano. And if you have to take Cano, then I'm not paying $60 million. I'm not. I, yeah. I, you're basically giving me Cano as a throw-in. Yeah, especially, it's really, yeah. especially if I'm giving you Kelnick, like you're giving me Cano as a throw-in. Like I, I may be paying Cano for ten million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I know it's easy I for mean, me to say I'm not in the room. I'm not making those negotiations. But I mean, look at the leverage. Where were the Mariners going to go? They didn't want Cano. They weren't going to keep him on the roster. So at this point, where were you going? I'm playing hardball with the Mariners. I'm saying, you know what? You have nowhere to go. We're the only team. We're showing interest. So. Yeah, yeah I, it's 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 tough. It, it's really tough to see. It's it's tough to see. It's obviously hindsight, but uh, boy, it's it obviously it doesn't it doesn't look great right now, especially with Robbie not performing and the fact that he's hurt. Yeah, he's he's hurt, um, and he's not performing. And again, the hustle thing, I. I've never made a big deal about it because again, if he hits nah, 320 and they're 30 and 15, the hustle thing is, is, is I, I've always hated that. Um, so do you, so, so I guess projecting this out a little bit, obviously the Mets just won two out of three against the Tigers they had a great homestand. Um, you know, they went six and one in the homestand. That's great. Yeah. They've kind of at least gotten themselves to sea level or, or, or to water. They haven't gone above yeah. water yet, but they got the water. Nope. Um, yeah. Now they go out to LA to play the Dodgers. Who knows? Um, mm. What's your outlook on this team? I, if everybody is healthy, if everybody is right, mm. do you think this team is at the very least a wild card contender? Because that's the other, that's the other disappointing thing about this division, about this team, is that the division is not that great. I don't believe in the Phillies. No. Like I know the Phillies are playing well no. right now, but I don't think the Phillies are unbeatable. And the Braves, not you know, I don't think the Braves are this behemoth either. So I think the Mets are there. This division is there for the taking. The Nationals look like they're going to have a, a a year where they're just not going to fire. And the Marlins are god-awful. We know that. So the division's there. And that's that's the frustrating part. The division is right there. It's wide open. If everybody's healthy, what is this team in your eyes? I think they're a team that with a really with a not great NL East is a team that can really – fight to be that, you know, to win the NL East. But I do think that um, at the same time, if that isn't the case, they should be a team that can fight for, for a playoff spot either way with a wild card. I mean, you look at this team and uh, Brody said a lot about getting rid of the ifs. So I, as much as I love hearing that, let's, we can play the if game right now just for this to say, all right, Conforto's back. And I'm not counting Cespedes because that's just yeah. Cespedes is Cespedes. done. It, but yeah, just don't count Cespedes. I never counted him this year. Yeah. Uh, McNeil back, <laughs> and then oh boy, who else? Who else? Are Nimmo? Nimmo comes back, and say what you want about Nimmo and how much he's been struggling this year. I I think there's still more upside to him playing center field uh, because with the potential to get offense from him than to get from offense from Juan Magares. Uh, I you, then you could take them out in a in a double switch and have him have Lagares play center field 
if you had the lead late in the game. Um, J.D. Davis, I love J.D. Davis. I love that kid. I think yeah, that, 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 was a steal. That, that, dude, that dude can play. That dude can hit. He's not a good fielder. He's been fine in the outfield. Uh, he, obviously, we don't know what Jed Lowry is yet, but if you look at that lineup with Jed Lowry in there, I mean, geez, you have McNeil leading off and McNeil is just, he's my favorite player on this team other than, other than DeGrom. And I, I think he might be my favorite just in general because he just, he doesn't really strike out. He puts the ball in play. It's just fun to watch. He does little things. Um, he can play. He actually plays a good left field and plays a good second base. It's really yeah, he's a good, he's a good, it's interesting because that was the knock on him too, is that they didn't know if his glove would, would match his yeah. bat. And he's, he's actually played a lot better than, than expected. Yeah, so I agree with you. I love JD Davis. Um, I think he should be the th- at least the third baseman over Frazier right now. Oh, and- I agree. I agree there, but let's say, you know, you have McNeil, you have Pete Alonzo who he's been struggling just, a, he's been struggling a bit over the last month or so, but it's been hit still hitting bombs. And you know that he's someone who can, you know, get you big hits and get you home runs. You have Robbie Cano. You have Michael Conforto. You have Wilson Ramos. You have Jed Lowry. I mean, you have Brandon Nimmo, Ahmed Rosario, pitcher spot. You look at that team and you're like, these guys can hit. And then you look at the rotation and if they're on, you look, you just, again, it's, I know, I understand saying if a lot, but boy, you, you throw DeGrom there. You throw Wheeler, who, despite giving up three runs today, actually looked very good. And then you have, well, Noah needs to figure himself out, needs to get that slider working again, because he, I, I was seeing something how uh, a, a person on Twitter was saying that it doesn't look like he has a good, the good grip on his slider and it's costing him. And it, mm-hmm. it's very well possible because, I mean, he hasn't really struggled in his career other than this. Um, then you have Steven Matz, who you're, you're still not sure what he can be, but he's going to, he, he's good. He is good. And then obviously you have Vargas, but boy, you, you look at that team and you're like, this team can play. Yes. Team, that's, yeah. They have, they, they have hit, they have guys who not only like last year was just a bunch of guys who could hit for power, but couldn't hit this year. You have guys who can hit, you have guys who can hit for power. You have guys who can do both. And you just look at this team and you're like, they can be good. And obviously this is, look, this is an important stretch coming up right now. They took care of business. Now look, obviously getting swept by the Marlins is terrible and it easily could be nine and one in their last 10. Yeah. They had taken care of business there. But look, right when their season was, was on the brink, they were, it was on the brink of, you know, just falling off losing, what was that? Five in a row, including last yeah. two to the Nats. Yeah. They've, they've run out and they've won uh, six of the last seven. But now you're going to the West Coast and you're playing the Dodgers, you're playing Arizona. And then you have a break and then you're playing San Francisco, who's not great, but, you know, with still the West Coast swing. Um, I think a lot will be said about this season over the next week's worth of games against the Dodgers in Arizona. Yeah, this is the best one. If the Mets want to prove that they're, you know, they hit their blip, but they, they stayed around. And they, you know, they hit the blip, but didn't hit the blip like they did last year where just the wheels fell off and everything just stopped working. This is the trip. And look, the Dodgers are the best or the best team in the national league, arguably one of the best teams in baseball, but you got You have to find a way you have to find a way to win. And you have to try to get, get over that hump, get over 500. They're back to 500. Now you have to try to get over that hump and got to put, you have to keep the, the good times going right now. 
No, I agree with you. This is this is the stretch of the season. This is their season right yeah. here. It took care of yeah. business, and I and I agree with you. I think it was very impressive. They were able to write the ship because this. I mean, thank God to the thank God to the Nationals bullpen. I mean, God, Lee. Oh, jeez, like that. But yeah. but you know, but you know, hey, you can only play the people that are in front of you, right? And they took care of absolutely what they had to yep. do. And Absolutely. no one's gonna, no one's gonna ever take that away from them. They they did what they had to do. Now consistent. Now find the consistency. Now find a way to do it consistently. You know, go out to L.A. and yeah. you can take two. I mean, L.A. The Dodgers are not unbeatable. You can take two no, out of three from the Dodgers. Not. And Arizona, you know, I know that Arizona's, you know, Lavello is just a hell of a manager. That's an example. He really is. It's a, it's a, that that guy's got Arizona playing well, and that team is just yeah. look at the talent on that team. It's not great, but yeah. you know, Arizona's not unbeatable. You can beat Arizona. And then no. we talked about the Giants. I mean, so this is this is manageable for you if you can just stay consistent, get guys back, keep playing. I, I will say this: we've we've done a lot of Met bashing, but I of like course, the fact yeah. that they, yeah, of course, right? But <laughs> I, I love the fact that they've got some depth this year for the first time in a long, long yeah. time. I mean, look at the guys that they have now: Adani Echevarria. You know, he's a major league player. He's a guy that can actually be a major league player. You know, they're not running out there the Mike Baxter's of the world. They're not out running guys that, you know, you know, triple A guys. I mean, they're running quality major league level guys. I mean, Danny Echeverria, Carlos Gomez. These are guys that can keep you afloat until your big guys come back. And then even when your big guys come back, these are guys that are valuable bench pieces. Like I st- I still want to keep Carlos Gomez around. I'd still want to keep a Danny Echeverria yeah. around. You know, I know they sent, I know they DFA'd, um, uh, Davis, but you know, even Davis is a contributor. You know, we'll see what they get out of Matt Kemp. You know, Matt Kemp is a guy. I, I like that Matt Kemp move. I still think he's a guy that can help you. I think he's yeah. a guy that gives you a pop and he can play the outfield. And he, you know, I, I I love the fact that they're going out and getting these made because I think that was one of the knocks I had on on Alderson all those years is that you know the bench just was really lacking outside of 2015 when he got Uribe and he got Kelly Johnson it just didn't have major league caliber guys on the bench and that hurt him no yeah, absolutely and at the same time you know uh I love the Matt Kemp signing I agree because look that's a no risk with the potential for a high reward absolutely you know look you know he he can't play the outfield anymore really but if you're if you're facing let's say your offense is struggling a bit you need someone to hit you know the the dude can go out there and hit. Like I, I, I think I had a friend who sent me uh his last couple games or his last like maybe weeks worth of games with uh Cincinnati before they released him. He was hitting like a two seventy. It's not yeah. like he can't hit. It's simply that, you know, look He's probably a DH at this point in his career, so he probably Absolutely. probably should have ended up in an American League team. But hey, he could still. I mean, you could still trot him out there. I mean, you're trying Todd Frazier out there for God's sakes. I mean, you could still trot out <laughs> Matt Kemp and still get right. something out of him. So I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I love that signing. Yeah, and um, uh, look, it's it's actually going to be interesting now because my initial thought before today was, all right, uh, you know, Cano's going to come back at some point. You hope that Lowry's going to come back. But let's say Cano comes back. Uh, who's the roster casualty? I mean, yeah. today they, did, they made a tough move, and they had to get rid of Rajay Davis. They're hoping that he clears waivers and he'll go to AAA. But, uh, you know, and that was to get Conforto back. Now if Cano comes back, are you really, are you really going to send Dom Smith back down again? Because uh, no, I don't think can. you can. You can't. You, you can't. can't. No. I mean, he went. He went. I think two for three with a walk today, and he's a great bat off the bench, and he's someone that look. If Pete struggles, and then you want to start splitting time, 
you can do that because Dom's playing very well. And you know what um, I love about you know what I uh, not to cut you off for a second, but you know what I love no, about no, Dom. Smith? You know what I love about Dom Smith? That kid's been browbeaten and beaten down for two yep. years, and that kid got himself in shape. It didn't. He didn't yep. sulk. He didn't cry. He didn't bitch. He didn't moan. He said, "You know what? I'm going to go out." I, I've never seen a kid. I mean, people forget this kid was a highly touted prospect. I mean, he wasn't. He was the number you know, one prospect in baseball for a while. You know, he wasn't a guy that, you know, he wasn't a can't miss guy per se, but he was a guy that a lot of people had high hopes for. Um, the weight yeah. was always an issue. It looks like he's got himself in great shape. He looks totally, I mean, he looks completely different. He looks totally different than he, than he, he does. Ever, yeah. ever. And he's a guy that I, I, I respect that. That kid got browbeaten. He got destroyed. He got drugged through the, I, more than any other prospect I had ever seen with the Mets. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and he, do you know what? He didn't cry. He didn't suck, like I said, and he got himself in shape and he's made himself into a major league player. I respect Absolutely. that because he could have easily Absolutely. folded. He could have been, he could have been another lastings millage or anybody and countless hmm. other Mets met prospects that just go by the wayside. He didn't, he made himself into a big player. And I like this kid. I want to see him on this roster. I think he's earned yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. And you admire that. You absolutely do. And um, you look and like, who are they, who are they going to dump though? Like, Hechevaria just yeah. has, you know, Hechevaria's playing well. Out. Yeah, he's playing well. Uh, it's re- it, they got they have a difficult decision to make, and look these and these are the difficult decisions that as a team, obviously it sucks to make because you know it's really difficult. And uh, but look, it's a good problem to have. It really is. I wish they'd get more pitching depth. I wish they get more starting pitching depth, yeah. especially when yeah. when they let Gio Gonzalez go because they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't um, guarantee him a spot in the rotation over Vargas. That you don't like. That I don't like. And then they wound up spending what two million dollars to call up Hector Santiago. Exactly. Which is, exa- which is just basically exactly yeah. what they cost. Yeah. Exactly what it cost <laughs> to get uh, to get Geo. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, no, I would definitely see. Talk, uh, let's talk, you know, almost wrapping up here, but uh, let's talk about Pete Alonso real quick. I mean, sure. has he exceeded your expectations? Uh, oh, of I, I, I love the kid. I love the kid at AAA. I, I, I thought he had potential. Me, I'm always a skeptic with these prospects. Like, I always expect the worst until they overperform because I've just been burned so many times. Like, I thought, oh, this guy was going to be great and he didn't live up to it. I thought this guy was going to be great and he didn't live up to it. So, so I, I kind of take yeah. the wait and see approach with prospects. Like, I expect the worst and hope for the best. And so I expected the worst Pete Alonso. I expected him to be in, in Syracuse by now. And he's he's exceeded everything that, you know, and this kid's a leader. He just has a presence about him. I know he's struggling right now, but I think this is a good thing. You know, I think it's a good thing that he's struggling right now. I think he gets to you know, humble himself a little bit, figure things, some, figure some things out, and then he'll be back. I, I, I have no confidence that this kid's going to be back. So talk to me about Pete Alonso. Has, he's exped- has he exceeded your expectations in any way? I, I mean, I think absolutely, because like you said, uh, when someone does something in the minors, it's great, but then you're, there's always that, well, can you do it in the majors? And he came out guns blazing. He was unbelievable. And look, he's struggling now, but he's still getting his timely hits. He's getting his big hits. And he's still a presence um, in the lineup. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Someone that you have to worry about. Um, and you know, look, slumps happen. I think he's going to, he's going to get out of it. Slump, a slump just happened with Wilson Ramos. He was slumping for a while and then he just came out of it now. And, and obviously it looks terrific. I think today was actually a very good uh, day to give him off. Yeah, to have Dom, and to have Dom star, I think that was actually a pretty good call, especially with them now going to the West Coast because you know they're going to need him for uh, 
for that series coming up, and they face Kershaw tomorrow in the first game of the series. So you want that right-handed bat in the lineup. But uh, just in general, I, I've been so impressed. I've been really impressed with him at first base. Yeah. That was the knock on him. Yeah, uh, I, yeah he may not be fluid, but, boy, it, we've come a long way from watching James Loney not stretch at all at first base <laughs> to, to now Pete Alonso doing full splits at first base. Uh, he does all the little things. He works so hard. It's how can, and then he says everything right after the games and he gets so excited and he's so happy. He gets the crowd fired up. How can, how can you not love him? He looks like a star though. He just, he just, you just, Absolutely. he has that star quality about it. It's just that it factor. Yeah. you know, that, that thing that you just can't put a measure on, but he just has it. I think he has it. Yeah. I think Conforto has it too. I love the way it could, it's sad because Conforto was actually playing well when, when he, when he ran into Cano or whatever, but you know, I love Conforto. And that's another thing about this team too. They have young players. They have a young nucleus here. I mean, you got Alonzo, yeah. you got Conforto, you got McNeil, you got Rosario. I know Rosario's kind of been up and down defense and, but Rosario still, I still think, I still have hope for Rosario and even Dom Smith. I throw Dom Smith in there. Like you have a young core on this team. JD Davis is only what? 25 years old. Like they really have a young core here, like a good solid young core that they can build around. And I'm throwing JD Davis in there because I like the kid. I think he's got potential. Um, So not all is wrong with the Mets. And I I think that's the frustration. I think that's why there's been a lot of frustration with the fan base, because I think the Mets fan sees that there's talent with this team. There's potential with this team. And I think we need to get some things sorted out. Um, I'm with you. Um, It's interesting to see when, when everybody comes back, who's the casualty, like when Cano comes back, who's the casualty. I think Dom has to stay, you know, I'd even be willing to sacrifice one of the bullpen pitchers. Just, I mean, I just, I agree. Dom Dom has to stay like that's over now. Like he has to stay here. now. Um, Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Um, Last thing before, before we, before I let you go, man, Um, the pitching. Um, I think that's probably been the most disappointing aspect of the season so far is how up yep. and down the pitching has been. Um, I, I think you expected a little regression from Jake. I mean, I think even, even, the, biggest, even the biggest Jake DeGrom fan had to expect that he wasn't going to do what he did last year. I mean, that was one of the great pitching seasons of all time. I don't think anybody Absolutely. expected this. Um, talk about Jake and talk about Noah. Cause I think Zach, I, I, Zach is Zach. I, I don't, and no, and Matt's are Matt's. I think they're, they're in a different category themselves, but talk about Noah Syndergaard and Jacob DeGrom first. Like, I, I don't think anybody expected those guys to kind of just be up and down. They're just up and down. I mean, you see Noah, you have a great game. They don't have a so-so game. They have a bad game. They don't have a great, it's just been up and down with those two guys. Yeah. Jake, I, I still just, I just don't worry about him because I like, obviously he comes out the first two games of the season. You're like, Oh boy. Like he may, he looks even better than he did last season. Then naturally he regresses a bit, uh, has some, some really uncharacteristic and some bad starts. And, um, he's, he's really trying to find his, um, he's trying, he's trying to find his location, get his location on his fastball. He's still, it's, he's just, there's something about him that you look at and you, you do not, you, you just don't worry. You're like, do you know what? Like if he says I was bad, I'm going to figure it out. You're like, all right, he was bad. He's going to figure right. it out. And he, and then he just goes out and does it. Noah, I, I'm just a little, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned because I mean, I've never seen guys uh, look so comfortable in the batter's box against a hundred mile an hour fastball coming at them with good movement. And they're staying in there and they're, you know, they're, they're hitting it and his slider hasn't looked good. His he's getting beaten. And 
I think there needs to be a, the adjustment, and the big adjustment, like I said, I think is finding that slider. He's got to find that slider that has that sharp, almost cutter-like movement and um, needs to go from there. It's, it's tough, but if they can turn it around, and I know that's a big if, especially, you know, because you, you really you don't know. You, you, of course, no one, no one really knows. But you look, at, you look at that top three of the rotation, and you look at Matt as, you know, Matt would technically be the number four starter because uh, Wheeler's just been, been very good. Uh, for recent, like the last couple starts, he's been good. He, he had struggled previously. And I mean, for a while today, it wasn't looking good until he settled down and didn't let up any more runs. Uh, and, and I just, as a quick aside, uh, I'm very happy that he was able to get a win when look, he gave up three runs. Is that great? No, he went seven and a third, hey, it's a quality seven, start. Yeah. seven, seven and a third, three runs. You should, your team should be able to score you at least three runs to get you a no decision. And they should be able to get you four runs to get you a win. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to face elite starters and it's just not going to happen. Luckily today, they were able to make it work. But then you look at Matt, you have Matt as your number four starter. And that's an above average number four starter. And then obviously you have Vargas, who's a below average fifth starter. And um, you can see how this team can be in every game. And really, four out of the five days, they have a pretty damn good shot at winning winning each game, each of those four out of five games. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not worried about Jake. I'm, I'm a, I'm a little concerned just because even when, even in years past when he struggled, it was never where he had just starts where he was lit up. And this year right. has been one of those years where he's like, man, he's been, I mean, I remember that Minnesota game vividly. I mean, he, just, Oh, that was brutal. Out. Now that wasn't all his fault. Ooh. The rain delay and then putting him out there. And just yeah. some of those some of those starts. I mean, it haven't been all his fault, but I mean, he was just he just didn't have it. I, that's the worst I've ever seen him pitch. Um, yeah, and he just didn't have it. Obviously, he got lit up again uh, by the Marlins a couple of days ago or a few or last week sometime. And, and so so it it that would be the concerning part. I'm with you on Noah Syndergaard. I'm almost I'm almost thinking like I'm hoping there's not like an injury that he's hiding or something because he's just he's just been. He's just been uneven. It's just been, you know, I wouldn't even say uneven. Like he's just he, outside of that wonderful start he had against the Reds. He's just been yeah. meh. He's been meh. He's, he's, just, been, he's, he's just been bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I can't even say he's been uneven. Um, yeah. That does worry me. Jake, you know, Noah Syndergaard does worry me because they need him to be better than this. And right. You know, and the thing about Noah, you know, Noah likes to be a personality and likes to talk and, you know, but, it, but it's about time now that Noah starts producing on the field now. Like it's, it's, yeah, now it's put up or shut up time because he's, he's, I, he's not quite at Matt Harvey level, but, you know, a lot of people are start looking at him like, dude, like, you know, the, the sitting front seat at the Ranger at Madison Square Garden at Ranger games, that's all fun and dandy, but, you know, it's time that you go out there, win, you know, 16, 17 games, you know, pitch to a two ERA and, and be a dominant pitcher like everybody knows you can be. Yeah. And I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, but I, I, you just have to say that with all this happening, the Mets have done a, a pretty damn good job of weathering the storm, getting back to 500. And then this week was important. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is a very important week. And look, they took care of business this week. They did what they had to do. You would have loved to, I mean, they lost a tough one. Um, when again, Noah got lit up and that's really the issue that we're talking about here, but that's the one game that they lost over the last week. And 
it is a game they scored eight runs. It's a game that you have to win, and there are times that your pitching isn't going to show up, and there are times that your hitting isn't going to show up. Uh, usually those things coincide with one another where, you know, the pitching will be great and then the hitting's not there and vice versa. But um, I think yeah. I think there's a there's a reason to be concerned with Noah. But, um, look, Dave Island has done a, did a terrific job of uh, – you know, turning Wheeler around. Uh, DeGrom had that, had the Cy Young year last year. Matt's, he worked with Matt's and Matt's was better for a while last year. You hope that they can, you know, pinpoint something wrong with Noah. Maybe they can adjust the grip on the slider or uh, maybe uh, get a completely different grip or just figure out the grip that he has now where he can get a better feel for it. Um, and, and then see from there. But you hope really what you hope is that, you know, you, you know, Take those bullpens extremely seriously. Uh, you know, work on what you need to work on in those bullpens and go from there. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and one last thing before we go, let's just play Absolutely. this out a little. Let's just play this out a little bit. Um, let's just say the Mets continue at this pace where they win a couple, lose a couple. They're basically a perpetually a 500, maybe two or three games under 500 by July 1st. Do you yeah. see Mickey Callaway keeping his job? And if and if he doesn't keep his job, who, who who would you? I know it's a loaded question. Who if if he doesn't keep his job, who do you see replacing him? Or who would you want uh, to see replacing him? Is the better question. Oh, I, I'd want I'd want to see Dusty Baker. I love Dusty. I think he was given it, it was he got, horrendous. He got yeah. He just got it he was got horrendous. Him. And then they brought in Davey Martinez, and he's been. An atrocity there, and look, he's he worse than he's the, worse than Callaway. He's worse than Callaway. He hasn't, he hasn't been given help with his bullpen either. Whatever he turns to, it doesn't matter because they're just not good. But at the same time, boy, I don't I don't know how he does how he still has a job right now. And uh, I think Mike Rizzo, their their general manager, needs to take a lot of a lot of heat for you know this is two straight years where they haven't addressed the bullpen, and they said that they were going to kind of do it on the fly and then see what they needed. Yeah, and yeah. They still haven't made any adjustments, and they're about to sweep the Marlins. But look, again, that's sweeping. That's sweeping the Marlins, and I understand that there's a team that the Mets just lost to. They the Mets, that the Mets just got swept by. But at the same time, it's still not a good baseball team, and you need to worry about that. But uh, I love Dusty. I think he's just the the perfect combination of old school and new school, and someone that could you know could handle the media, and someone who could get fired up. Uh, I, I love. I've always loved Dusty. I think he's terrific. But at the same time, I like. I do. I. I definitely can't see Mickey getting fired. I. I, I don't think that there's really any sort of uh, way around it. I think that even if they continue being a 500 team, uh, they'll they'll look to shake something up and and look. Let's be honest. They're not going to go out and shake something up to you know make a big trade and go get someone big. You hope they do, but. What you don't really, you just don't know. I'd be good with Girardi, Showalter, or uh, Dusty. I think those guys are experienced. I think those guys, those are the guys that you know. Everybody talks about managers and the importance of managers. Like to me, give this team, give give Joe Girardi this team. You mean to tell me that this team is not better now? How much better? I I don't know how you quantify it, but you mean to tell me that Joe Girardi can't do a better job with this roster? I, I I challenge anybody to tell me that he can't. You know, Buck Showalter. He just I, I I love Buck Showalter. I think he's a hell of a manager. You know, I, I think he's in the same category as as Dusty. Just 
one of those guys that's just never gotten luck. You know, everywhere he's been, he's been great. He's won, and it's just been bad luck. Like you know, obviously everybody knows Arizona. The year he leaves, they win a national, they win a championship. You know, same thing with the Yankees, obviously. So I, I, I love Buck Show Walter. I think you give Buck this team. This team is infinitely better. It's just it's not even yeah. a question. And even Dusty, I love Dusty. I, I don't like him as much as the other two, but I but I love Dusty. I think he's a hell of a manager. I think he's got a raw deal in the Nationals too. And I and I think you give Dusty this team. This team is better. So um, any one of those guys, I would be, I would be good with. But I, I think you're right. I think that. I think Callaway's. I think this week was big for Callaway. Like I think yeah. after everything that happened Monday, and they come out and they have just an, a, a terrible homestand, or even just a, a an average homestand, I think that Mickey is. I, I think you can't continue with Mickey. That being Absolutely. said, if they have another horrible June, they're going to have to fire him. They just you can't. Yeah, can't have yeah. another. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled the trigger quicker than you know than you would expect if things start to go south because. If they they sold, like I said, they sold the, the fans on them being winners now and winners in the future. And if they're not winning now, then they're gonna they're gonna try to fix something. And who's easier to blame than the manager? Do you do you think that they've been a little bit gun shy about firing managers in season since the whole uh, um, since the yeah. whole Willie Randolph thing? I think they've been since a little the, gun since shy the Randolph thing. The what? Absolutely, I think so. Uh, I mean, they fired. I mean, no, they. I mean, Art Howe was before then, but. You know, they had Jerry Manuel, and then, boy, then then you had Terry. And look, they let the circus with Terry go on two years ago the entire season. Yeah. And that was just it, – it was a damn shame because Terry didn't deserve that. No, he didn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're gun-shy. And they'd rather go through an entire season of, you know, all right, well, yeah, maybe he'll get fired. Maybe he won't. Uh, yeah. Oh, they lost eight in a row. Oh, he's going to get he's gonna get shit canned yeah. now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just not good. Not it's not the way it should be run. But look, it should be you. You make the right move when you feel that you need to make it. And instead of doing that, they let it ride out for whatever reason. And then this year, they they didn't they didn't really give uh, Brody the chance to name his own manager. And usually, that's what a GM that's wants yeah. to do is you know yeah. name your own manager and instead named his uh, you know bench coach. And it's. It's tough, but I, I do think they've been gun shy for sure. Yeah, well, we can go on all day talking about the ills of the Mets, but uh, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's always a great conversation having you on, man. Uh, before you go, go ahead and plug Duke Nation podcast, yeah. social media, plug everything. Give us an insight on what's coming sure. up. Everything, man. Go ahead, sell yourself. Absolutely. All right, man. I mean, uh, like we said earlier, it's at the Duke Nation on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, make sure you check us out. Uh, we'll be having podcasts coming out soon. We'll be having articles coming out soon on Duke's recruiting class. Uh, maybe including Joey Baker. It probably will. If I have the time, um, it'll be some in-depth stuff looking at, uh, not only their games, but, uh, how their game will translate and stuff like their defense that won't show up in statistics. So, uh, yeah, just get, take a look at those when they come out and we'll be tweeting them out. And if you have, any questions, any suggestions, always feel free to DM us. Always feel free to to show us some love on Twitter, and we're, we're good with responding, so don't worry about that. Awesome, man. Definitely check these guys out, man. It's awesome. If you're a Duke fan, uh, check the podcast out. It's, it's, it's always a good listen, and uh, check out Dan as well. He's got a lot of he's, – yes, he's, 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 he's active on Twitter, so uh, especially it's about Mets. true. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's baseball season. Absolutely.
Yeah, yeah, man. Well, thank you for joining me, man. As always, it's a great conversation. And uh, don't you you know you you're always welcome back. So anytime, man. Absolutely, man. We'll get we'll get you on ours too for sure. Yeah, no doubt, man. Anytime, anytime. Just give me a time and a place, Absolutely. and uh, I'll be there. Absolutely, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, welcome back to the show. I'd like to thank Dan for being my guest this week on the podcast. Please make sure you go follow him on Twitter at DansMets19, at DansMets19. Also check out his podcast, the Duke Nation podcast, available at thedukenation.com. Also Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere where you can find podcasts, that show is available for you to listen. That is it for me today. Please have a happy, safe, blessed week, especially this weekend. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Please be safe out there. Don't do anything crazy. Enjoy yourselves. Have fun and Enjoy the weather wherever you are. Come back safe next week and listen to the podcast as always, man. Um, I'm trying to have a guest on on Wednesday to do an NBA Finals preview. We'll see how that turns out. I'll keep you guys posted on these social media sites. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at the Manual Brown, on Instagram the Manual Brown, Snapchat Manny Bro 15, Facebook Manual Brown. Follow me everywhere. Uh, of course, you can follow the show at AGS Pod on Twitter at AGS Podcast on Instagram. Any given Sunday on Facebook. Make sure you become a member of AGS Nation. Um, also check out all the other dead end uh, podcasts on the net uh, is the mic still on dead end hip-hop dead end sports dead end gaming chris platt's hip-hop strictly hip-hop and hoops talk um everything man the brand is brolic not to borrow from uh deuces and marrow the brand is definitely brolic so check us out man but yeah that's it i'm done blabbering i'm i'm out of here i gotta go barbecue hopefully eat some good food this weekend please be safe phil for real definitely please be safe there's a lot of accidents a lot of crazy shit happens on memorial day weekend people get drunk please 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 be safe um and we'll definitely check you out next week on the podcast i'm out of here peace